If you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, which is a full PA system, ticket sales. Uh, we have national bands, we have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at mosdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Mo's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend some Mo's to someone because we cater to all needs, a family-friendly atmosphere. We have Colorado beers on tap, all the games on the TVs. It will blow your mind with amazing barbecue. Hey everybody, welcome to the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties and have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. Welcome into another episode of the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. I'm AJ Hayfley alongside Nathan Rudolph. Today, we are hanging out here on a Thursday afternoon. Today is Thursday. Yep. It's been kind of a weird day. So... <laughs> going to be an interesting podcast today we would uh <clears throat> we're going to run down just to jump right into it uh we're going to run down a couple of guys who are what we'll call an x factor for the next year's uh, avalanche team rudo these guys that we're going to talk about today you know they're they're the obvious superstars right like nathan mckinnon miko ranton and gabe landeskog philip grubauer those guys have to those guys have to be good for the Avs to go anywhere. That's understood. The Avs aren't getting anywhere, and really no team is getting anywhere if they don't get good goaltending and their best players aren't their best players. You're just not going to go anywhere if that's not the case. No so, doubt about it. There are guys every year that play pivotal roles in good teams becoming great teams or mediocre teams becoming good teams or whatever transformation a team may have that season. For the Avs, they're hoping to go from good to great. And if that's going to happen, obviously the addition of Nazem Kadri uh, is going to play a big role there. But today we're going to look at three guys who we think could have even more of an impact because they are big question marks. With Kadri, you're expecting him to come in and be a second-line center to, to, to solve that problem fill that role and kind of do his thing. But the first guy we're going to talk about here, segment number one, Andre Burkowski. Colorado paid a pretty legit price to get him. A guy coming off back-to-back 25-point seasons and getting a se- giving up a second and a third round pick for him. Pretty hefty price there. But regardless of the price paid, he's here. 
doesn't have a contract yet, but we're still assuming he's going to be around. Um, Rudo, what are off the top of your head here? You know, initial thoughts on Burakovsky and where he's going to fit and kind of some expectations. Yeah, well, we've already talked about it a little bit before that he should get a legitimate significant chance on the second line. Mm-hmm. And you want him to be a goal scorer for you. You you're really hoping for 20 goals out of the guy at least. And that's a big step for him. It's something he's never done. The closest he's gotten is 17. He needs to produce at a, at a second line level for the abs to get value out of this trade and, and to take some of those next steps. And can he do it? Yes, I, I believe he can, but he has not shown that consistency in the past. At the same time, he hasn't gotten a big opportunity in the top six like the abs have to give him here. If Colorado breaks up its top line, yeah, say Landis Cog and Kadri, is there a temptation to put to put Burakovsky on the left side next to McKinnon and Rantanen, and and just let him fire away? Oh man, I don't know if I love that, just because of how much McKinnon shoots already, mm-hmm. and we want Rantanen to shoot more as well. If Burakovsky can transition into that role of, of a rebound collector and things like that, then yes, absolutely. I would be all for it, but I haven't really seen that from him. So I'm not sure if that would be a great fit. I would like it more if you move Burakovsky to the right side and drop Rantanen down. I, I think Landis, Gog, Burakovsky, and McKinnon might work a little better. You know, I mean, Landy... 73 games last year, Landis had 243 shots on goal. Yeah, right. He, he shoots a ton too, but but we have seen from Landis he can do that work in front of the net and, and things like that. That's a role we know he functions well in. So in, mm-hmm. in that regard, I think it's a bit of a better fit. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's only so many shots to go around. Of course. Not all, not all your guys are going to have 200 shots on goal. That would make you um, just an offensive juggernaut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the likes of which the NHL has not seen since the eighties, I would assume. Um, <laughs> just thinking about that too. Your top six, all those guys have two hundred shots. That's. I mean, oh, that's, are you even playing a bottom six at all? At yeah, time? yeah. That's so many. That's so. <laughs> I mean, that's so many goals too. Yeah. Um, Burkowski. So let's let's assume then that he's on the right side next to Kadri and whoever ends up as his left wing. Sure. How do you, how do you see those two working together and uh, bringing out the best in one another? I think it can work quite well together because Kadri takes a lot of pressure off of Burakovsky to have to work with the puck on his own stick, which is something mm-hmm. I don't think he's great at. He didn't do very much of it in Washington. You can let Kadri do the heavy lifting and driving of the line. And Kadri's a, a versatile enough player that he can keep him honest. He's a 30-goal scorer, but he's also a, a good passer and has good enough vision to to find Burakovsky when he is in open space, which is something he, when he's playing well, he seems to have a knack for. You know, Kadri's assist numbers in his entire career um, never been particularly impressive. It's not that they're bad, of course, but uh, only one year in his entire career where he's had 30 assists. Is that really the guy that they want to stick Burakovsky next to, to to try to 
feed off of? I mean, I don't hate it. I, I think it'll be just fine, particularly because they're two players that I don't think teams love to play against. But it's <laughs> definitely a, a valid concern. Who are you putting on that that other side? Uh, someone mm-hmm. like a Donskoy, who who seems a little bit more assist minded, may help flesh that out a little bit, and then you can run Donskoy as the setup man with. Kadri as your zone entry guy who, who could finish on his own sometimes and then and then Burkowski as well. The, the another guy we're gonna talk about in a bit is Tyson Jost, and I'm not sure how well he fits there. See, with Jost, my big and you're right, we he's next segment's topic, so we won't spend too much time with him, but uh at least right now. But with Jost, I I think that his ability uh, to dig pucks and and work down low, especially uh, below the goal line, um, I like I like that aspect of his game. Uh, and and think that with Burakovsky and and Kadri, like say he's the left wing there, uh, I like I like Jost's fit better than I do Burakovsky's fit next to Kadri. I think that's fair. Uh, as far as the the digging pucks out and, and things like that go, he can be that guy that that works hard deep in the zone for you. Mm-hmm. That's something I'm hoping to see a little bit more out out of from Burakovsky, though. It, how much does it does he actually have? I'm not sure, but given his frame and given the opportunity he's going to have here, you want to see that extra work from him, and and that's something that he should be capable of doing. Maybe, and you you mentioned this a few, uh, a few minutes ago, Rantanen drops down. Yeah. Next to Kadri. Mm-hmm. Burakovsky next to Landeskog and McKinnon. He doesn't really have to worry then about uh, guys next to him that uh, may not be natural playmakers. Because those are two guys who have a lot of assists in their careers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you're playing next to McKinnon and McKinnon drags two guys to him and he feeds you the puck, it's a, it's usually a good time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even even you look at Landeskog, uh, you know, using the same and admittedly arbitrary watermark here of uh, 30, 30 assists in a season, Landeskog's had 30 assists in every season of his career, except the second season, which he got, which was wiped out by concussions. And the uh, 2016-17 season when everybody in Colorado was god-awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing I really like about that <laughs> is we've seen in the past, even with someone like Jost, you stick Landeskog next to him and, and he raises everybody up. He makes everyone better. He can take a lot of the defensive responsibility as well to free up another player, less pressure to to be doing things like that and, and be more offensively focused. So... I really think of the the X factors we're talking about today and probably some that we aren't even talking about that might get top six time. If you want to be safe with it, just slap them next to Landy and and it'll work out. Okay. If you were Jared Bednar going into training camp and you're looking at Andre Burakovsky and you're saying, well, how can I get the absolute best out of this guy? What's your answer? What's your answer for how to get the most out of Burakovsky? Well, a week and a half ago, it was 
put him next to Alex Kerfoot, but I can't do that anymore. <laughs> um, so kind of like I've said already, you want to set him up with opportunities to shoot. You want to give mm-hmm. him a very consistent role in what he's doing. A big problem for him was his inconsistency in Washington. He would just disappear a lot of the time. So mm-hmm. you want to get him in his rhythm and give him something specific to do. Now, if you're looking further than just, okay, kid, go shoot the puck. I'd be looking for those opportunities to get him in deep into zones and be able to dig you out pucks, use his skating ability as well. And that is in the top six. And I, he should get a long look there. We're talking 20 games before Mm -hmm. you really make a decision about it. And hopefully the consistency comes for him. What kind of ice time should he get? That's that's a tough question because it, it's going to depend on how much you want to play that top line. Even if he's playing with the top line guys, I struggle seeing him getting up into those really crazy big minutes. But mm-hmm. if you can get him 16, 17, maybe even 18 minutes, big second line time, that's what I would be looking for. Power play two. Do you build it around him shooting from where Rantanen hangs out? You certainly should try it. Uh, it depends on how they end up setting power play one. Are they just going to throw Kadri on that or not? If, if they want Let's to, assume they do. Yeah, so if they're going for the super unit there, then yeah, you, you probably want Burakovsky as your shooter there. You can work in guys like Jost and Comfer, and, and that's where you can see maybe his, his skill shine through a little bit more. Uh, you can have a Jost digging out pucks deep on the power play with him set up mm-hmm. in the circle. Because I think... And we aren't, we aren't, obviously we don't know what next year's power play looks like yet. Um, we haven't, you know, who knows? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's exactly the same and they make zero changes. Yeah. Uh, it's not really in a coach's nature, but it's always possible. Um, the, I think for the second power play unit, I would have Burakovsky in that ranted in spot. Sure. And I would put Comfer where McKinnon goes. And then Gerard up high on the point. Yeah. And then I would have Jost down low where Landeskog goes. And I I mean, pick a guy um, to be the, 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 the fifth guy that just sort of stands there. Yeah, I wonder if... I mean, Donskoy is not really a center, but he seems a bit more comfortable with the puck on his stick. So maybe you have him as the facilitator where you put Comfer. Um, I, I mean, I, that's fine too. We've, we've seen Comfer in that spot, not be productive. So, um, put, put Comfer in front of the net where we've seen him actually do good work. Uh, and then Donskoy where McKinnon is and Hey, maybe it works out. Yeah. Right. That's something that you're just kind of guessing at until we actually see it. In yeah. Action. The, you're not, you're not building that unit with the, the idea that Donskoy is going to be firing one timers. Right. No, it's, it's about Burakovsky and capitalizing on his shooting ability. Yeah. Because that's, that's really what they're, they have to build around with Burakovsky to find success for him. They have to build around his ability to shoot. That's why they got him. That's why they liked him. That's, <laughs> Kind of, you know, that's he was a 40-goal scorer in the OHL. Granted, it was next to McDavid, and a lot of guys probably could have done that, but... 
But it's you what know. the Avs needed, too. They needed legitimate goal scoring on their second-line caliber talent, and that's what they're hoping he is. Well, and when you look at, you know, just shooting percentage in his career, his lowest is 10.8. Yeah, he puts bucks on nets, for sure. He's a 12.8 career uh, shooter. Need and to, need to get the biggest, opportunities, really. The biggest thing is, is his highest number of shots in his career was 126 in 2015-16, which is also the year he scored the most number of goals in his career with 17. Yeah, funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and so that's why my goal for Burkowski this year, 180 shots on goal. Yeah, I, I agree. They should be feeding him to get shots. If you're not getting two shots a game out of him, that feels a little lacking. Because if he gets 180 shots on goal, and... Uh, he shoots his career average. He will be a twenty goal scorer. Yep. So you're you're pretty much bang on the money there uh, with that one. The other thing is he's got to stay healthy. He's had a couple of years where he hasn't been able to play the full season, and, and that's hurt him. And broken hands on top of that. Yeah. And for a guy where you're talking about, you know, he's a high skill guy and shooting, and you know that's that's why you went and got him. Those hands better be okay. Right. <laughs> it's. Make sure those things are in full working condition for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's that's where I would uh, I would strongly consider if uh, me personally, I would run out Landeskog and Kadri, uh and and can leave the left wing open job uh, next to McKinnon and, and Rantanen as kind of a you know several guys I think could play that role. Sure. But I think I think Landeskog, Kadri, and and Burakovsky as a second line that's would just, be yeah, that's a mean line. <laughs> I think I think it would be. I mean, it's big and yeah. it's physical and it's it's really skilled, uh, and and it's not going against top competition, right? You know, because they're everybody's going to be worried about McKinnon and Rantanen, so they're going to get second pairing, second everything, and I think I'd like to see Burakovsky in that role given that opportunity. Uh, and then in that situation, and we'll talk about this uh, in this next segment, which we're going to get to very shortly. Yep. Uh, that's where Jost, I would put him on that top line and just see how that works. Yeah, I, I'm definitely down for giving that a chance here in a second. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take our first break here. Uh, before we do that, I've got to tell you guys all about Breckenridge Brewery, which is now the official beer of BSN Denver. And let me tell you guys. We went out there last night to Breckenridge Brewery, and I have a whole read that I'm, I've, you guys have heard the last couple of days. I'm just straight not going to do it today. Um, the the part of part of the read is, you know, I've got to tell you guys all about strawberry the strawberry sky beer. It's they just released it on July 4th, so it's brand 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 new, and it's that it's it's a light summer beer. Designed perfectly for just hanging out outside with your friends, which is exactly what we were doing last night. We went to the brewery and they hooked us up with all these beers and we were just standing around outside looking at the gorgeous scenery. It's in a great location. Everything about it. And it's it's family friendly and it's dog friendly. Uh, you can bring your dogs. They can run around outside and do, you know, do whatever. Um, the kids, same thing. There's play areas for, for all these different areas. And if you don't want to be around that. You don't have to be. That's the beauty of it. There's a ton of space out there 
for you to do uh, whatever you want to do and be there and and be exposed to what you want to be exposed to. If you just want to go and drink and hang out, you absolutely have that opportunity. And uh, we we ran through uh, a number of their beers last night, just trying stuff out. Uh, the Strawberry Sky. I'm not a big beer drinker, Bruto. We talked about this. It's not my it's not my thing. And that Strawberry Sky beer is phenomenal. <laughs> it's yeah, phenomenal. I still haven't had the chance to to try it. I need to get in there. It's it's brand new. Uh, when you and I hang out, the next time we hang out, we're gonna try it. Because it's it's the real deal. It's it's awesome. Uh, you guys should definitely be checking it out. And I mean, check out all of their different beers. If the, even if that's not your uh, your style, I have never been like a dark beer drinker. Uh, and there was an there was an Irish stout that they gave us last night that it was so smooth and it was so good. I was like, oh my gosh, it's a dark beer I can drink that doesn't make me want to throw up. <laughs> Because that's always been my problem with dark beers. They're just, they're too heavy. And I, mm, mm, it is, it's, it's just a great beer. Uh, the, the Irish stout was one that I, I gobbled up and then obviously the avalanche is a classic. Uh, so there's that. If, if you just want to go with what, what already works, um, I will bring this back on board here and say that uh, we do we did uh, launch a Breckenridge event calendar this week on bsndenver.com. Uh, you'll be able to see all of our events that we have planned, and we'll be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So make sure that you guys RSVP to any of those. Come have a good time with us. Uh, the beers are the beers are top notch, and definitely check out that brewery. Go out to the brewery itself, and uh, it's in Littleton. It's in a great location. Uh, it's, it's awesome. I had a, I had a phenomenal time last night and it's historically not something that I would really get down with. Uh, but I, I had a blast at the beer. The beer was awesome. The location was great. Uh, so you guys definitely need to go and check that out. That'll wrap up segment number one here, the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. We'll be right back. Tax debt is impeding the growth of millions of small businesses in the U.S. That's why Symbio Tax and Administration's goal is to enable small businesses and individuals to make informed and calculated decisions when it comes to their taxes. Symbio Tax provides small business owners with expert services in resolving tax liabilities and providing financial clarity. I would recommend George to anybody who has to deal with the IRS. His strengths and depth of knowledge make him really valuable. You know, over the course of years as a real estate broker, I've had the opportunity to talk with many different tax people. But the one thing I have found with George is he was very easy to work with. He was very articulate. Symbiotax is experienced in preparing returns for all income levels, as well as securing penalty abatements and settlements for qualified individuals that sometimes save the taxpayer thousands. George was able to save us about $7,000, and of course, you know, being an independent real estate broker, $7,000 is a substantial amount of money, and it was really nice to get that dealt with. They offer free consultations, so be sure to check out Symbiotax.com for more information. That's S-Y-M-B-I-O. Tax.com. Welcome in second segment here, the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. <sighs> Rudo, 
Tyson Jost has been nothing short of a frustration through two years. Yeah, I, I think frustration is the right word. I don't know if I'd call it a disappointment, but certainly a slower path than we were hoping for. I say frustration because the glimpses have right. been so good. Exactly. And had those not existed, you're feeling a lot more like Edmonton is with Puglia Yarby. Yep. Where you're asking, is this guy even an NHL player? Whereas with Jost, you know he's an NHL player. It's just what caliber is he going to be? Exactly. Because right now, through two years, it's been... It's he's a he's a third fourth line tweener. Right, exactly. He's he hasn't shown the consistency to not be in the bottom six, like you said. He's shown flashes of the skill, but we need to see more of it. A lot more of it. What we saw in the postseason was maybe the most encouraging thing possible. Uh, he was he was fourth line through the entire Calgary series, and was awesome. Yeah, even though the points weren't there right. at the very end, he does some of the best hockey I've seen him play. So, I mean, he was awesome. There were there were nights where, in the Calgary series especially, where Bill Peters tried to put out Johnny Gaudreau's line and get him get him kick started by matching them against Jost, uh, who was centering the fourth line in that series, yep. and it did not go well for Calgary. No. Sure didn't. If you look at uh, no no goals, <laughs> no, they didn't score. They didn't do anything. And the shot metrics were heavily in favor of Jost. Yeah. It's, I think that's the, the big key for the playoffs too. Jost alone, he had 21 shots in 12 playoff games, so... Kind of like what we were talking about with Burakovsky, you're getting up into that two shot a game territory. Mm-hmm. That's when you start to see the production. Well, that's that's certainly when you start to see the the result of a player driving play. Right. It you go from uh, Bednar likes to call them passengers to mm-hmm. to someone that's having a positive impact on the game every shift. Absolutely, because you aren't you aren't uh, you aren't throwing up a, in the neighborhood of two shots per game, just willy nilly. You're wor- you're doing some work to get there, and <clears throat> Jost's underlying numbers uh, weren't as good in the San Jose series uh, as they took. You know, they San Jose much deeper team, uh, stylistic differences uh, definitely put put the screws to Colorado's fourth line in a way that uh, Calgary failed to do. But Jost continued to look like he was at his best. And when he was promoted, when Calvert got hurt and he got moved up into uh, the 2C spot at the end of the of the series, he scored, he scored goals in three games in a row. Yeah, one of the Avs' best players in games five, six, and seven against the Sharks. And they really probably weren't even in game seven without his goal. So definitely not. It, um, I mean, the goal that he scored at the what 50 some odd seconds into the third period, 
set the entire tone for the third that third where <laughs> where the Avs just just laid it on them as as best they possibly could. Twenty full minutes of uh, just going ham, and you know it didn't work out, but you had to feel great about Jost exiting the season. Yeah, one hundred percent the best hockey he's played. You can kind of date it back to after his his short stint in the AHL. He looked Definitely. significantly better after that, but but it was even on another level in the playoffs. Yeah, it I mean he absolutely kicked it up a notch, man. I mean it was impressive. And that's why we're talking about him in today's show as a as, as a uh, an X factor, I was, was going to say a wild card, but it wasn't quite what I was after. Um, <clears throat> Jost is, and you know, we talked about getting the most out of Burkowski last segment. Yeah, that's this segment. It's the same conversation with Jost, and it's interesting that you have Jost and Burkowski trying to accomplish the same things because they, you know, if it ends up being Jost, Kadri, and Burkowski. You're asking an awful lot of two guys at the same time, yeah, and an awful lot of Nazem Kadri. Yeah, it's it's gonna have to be a bit of a juggling act to fit everyone in comfortably and, and give them all the opportunity they need. There, it will probably be be adjustments of roles, right? Burakovsky away from Jost, like I said, I would like to see dig pucks out more but if he's with Jost then then maybe that's Jost's role and you want Jost setting people up from behind the goal line if you move Jost away from Burakovsky depending on who you put him with you can you can have him be more of a shooter just kind of how it sorts out I think that when if if the Avs were only trying to find production out of one of these guys it wouldn't be a big deal where they played yeah I agree but because they're trying to get it out of both of them, I think that's the best argument for breaking up the top line yeah, and running with duos. I, I'm fully with you there. It's especially because even just McKinnon and Rantanen together offensively can absolutely carry someone. Someone yeah. will get points next to McKinnon and Rantanen. You don't have to worry about that. Can they with so with Jost next to McKinnon and Rantanen? He he would be asked to do some of the dirty work that Landeskog has been known for. Absolutely. I would love that top line. I would love it offensively. You know, I'm not that worried about it defensively. Uh, that much and you know if they just always have the puck it's not that big of a problem i guess right right like there's obviously like it's there are struggles uh defensively with those guys but one it's not unfair to ask both mckinnon and rantanen to freaking get better in that in that part of the game like we get it you guys are elite offensively and that's obviously worth a whole whole lot but they need to be working on this. It can't be on Tyson Jost to carry them defensively. That's insane. Yeah, no, that that's totally fair. McKinnon, especially being the center there, 
you would like to to see him be able to handle that business when necessary. And the apathy from McKinnon towards faceoffs has yeah. always been frustrating because it's it it appears that it's something he just doesn't seem to care much about. I don't ever see him work on it in practice. I don't ever see him seem to really care that much uh, when it comes to getting better in that area. You know, he was he's a 46% faceoff guy in his career, and I'm shocked it's that high. You know, it was one thing when he was 18 years old, and it was 42.9. He won 42.9% of his faceoffs as an 18-year-old. Rookies are often very, very bad at faceoffs. It takes time. It takes adjustment. Look at Alexander Kerfoot as a great example. He was he was not good in his rookie year because it's a it's a culture shock. He was forty two percent in his rookie year, and then last year Kerfoot was fifty six percent. Yeah, and fifty six percent and like legitimately good at it. Right, faceoffs. It's one of those things that if you just take the time and work on it every day, you'll just get better at it steadily. There's a limit to to how good you can get, but. McKinnon isn't anywhere near that limit. <laughs> well, in the last two years, 41.9% and 43.8%. It's basically he and in uh, Kuznetsov are in a race to the bottom to see which guy can play in the middle of the ice and do the least with their all-around responsibilities. Right. And I'm not asking him to be great at face-offs. I've never been a strong believer that face-offs are that important of a stat, but your For number sure. one center... You want to get him at least up to around 48%, you know, not too far off of the 50-50. If you can get him within spitting distance of 50, yeah, it's a huge improvement for you. And again, like this is a guy that had 99 points last year and led the NHL with 365 shots on goal. So the fact that we're even talking about face-offs right now is because it's like the one aspect of his game to nitpick. Right. <laughs> like flat out. We we expect both those guys to get better defensively, but I think that I'd like to see a jump forward from from Nate in that part of his game. And with Rantanen, just his, I don't want to say effort, because I hate questioning players' efforts, but let's call it getting level of engagement. For, yeah. for Rantanen defensively, because I, when he's, we've seen him be very good defensively when he's using his body well and he's, he's, you know, winning pucks down low and he's starting breakouts or he's back checking and using that insane pterodactyl esque reach <laughs> that he has to, to break up plays from behind. When he's engaged like that, he's really, really effective. We just don't see it that much. Yeah. It, part of it is definitely engagement there. You would like him to to be on it defensively a little bit more, but I also wonder if there's a bit, a little bit of lack of sense in the defensive zone for him, because it seems like if he finds himself in the right spot, he can he can handle the defensive play, but he doesn't really know how to get himself to the right spot unless it just happens. Yeah, he just seems. And I'm I'm honestly I've been very surprised at how slow the defensive stuff has come around for Rantanen because I yeah. thought he as as you know when when he was in San Antonio and in his rookie year especially I felt like he had a really high defensive ceiling that he could be a really good defensive player uh, along the wall just 
his size and his skill and, and his balance and all the things that he can do, it just looked like this guy should be a really good defensive player. And for whatever reason, man, it just has not come through. Right. It, it's, I wonder. He's just okay. Right. He's not going to kill you or anything, but playing on the wing like that. And I wonder if the Yams kind of played into into this a little bit, sticking that three-headed monster together so much that mm-hmm. they just said, look, Ranton, and just go forward and, and we'll let Landy take care of everything else. Yeah. And I, I mean, if that's, if that's the case, like, look, like it, it makes sense and it, it worked. Yeah. You can't, you can't say that it didn't work, but with Ranton in, I think, and, and, you know, ranted and end with the cadre around the way that Bedner stacked and, and just went so hard with a three headed monster. Like last year, it was like, a, OK, I've tried other things out. I, I we need to score. We've just got to put our best together and go. I got that. There weren't there weren't great op, uh, alternatives and any of the alternatives that looked any good were minimal. And that's where, to bring this back around to where we started, that's where they're asking a lot of Tyson Joseph this year. He needs to step up. He needs to have a 40-point season. Otherwise, we're going to – and that's that's a conservative. Like, if he plays – if he truly gets top six minutes and is one of the six most played forwards for the Avs, and especially if he ends up on that left side next to McKinnon and Rantanen, he's got to get a 40. He's, 40 points is conservative. He really needs to be looking at 50. But I would take 40 because that's a big leap. Yeah, 40 points is the floor there, right? Right. You're playing too much. The skill around you is way too high. If you're not getting at least that, then you're dragging the line down. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, you can always have the luxury of putting Landeskog there and knowing that you'll get at least 60 points out of him. Exactly. Like and, and like at worst, you're getting fifty points out of Landeskog. Like yeah. at worst, that's like something has gone wrong, and he's having a tough year because that's always been his career. He's always been a fifty point guy, even even not not at his best. Uh, but <laughs> you know, the jump to seventy five last year, just me personally, I'm not expecting that to, to happen again. No, that seems like a a career kind of thing for sure. <laughs> the thirty four goals, especially the forty one assists, is actually within range of a yeah. couple of years of his. Uh, but the the thirty four goals, if that if that drops back down to twenty five, hell, even thirty. I mean, that's that's you're still perfectly happy for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not complaining in any way. But with Jost, you absolutely want to see at least forty points, and I. You know, a 20-goal season would be great to get out of him. With with Burakovsky, it's like he's got to get 20 goals, and you're not worrying so much about how many assists he has because that's what you're hoping to get out of Burakovsky as an NHLer. Yeah. Is you want this, you want that extra, you want that goal score. Like, that guy could, he could put up a Cy Young season and go 30 and 10, and you wouldn't care. Right. Points are nice, but goals win games. <laughs> Right. The point of the game is to score goals. Uh, And if, you know, with Jost, I think, you know, a a minor leap last year from 22 points to 26 points, another guy that has to stay healthy. Yeah, for sure. 
because he just hasn't in his two years. He's all, and he's always been dinged up. Yep. It's, it's like a constant, you know, just, just something, something nagging at him all the time. He's another guy, uh, 113 shots rookie year, 114 shots last year. I'd like to see 160 this year. Yeah. The connection there that I think can help both Justin Burkowski. The Avs need to be willing to play PP2 a little bit more. I think that would help. Um, I think that will help with the uh, lack of, or the, the moving away from a top heavy approach. Right. It, Feeling like you have legitimate options. I think it'll be a lot easier to be like, all right, well, the top line hasn't accomplished anything in 40 seconds. Let's give them another 30 and see how it goes. They can just say, okay, it's been cleared out three times. 45 seconds have gone. Second unit, go. Right. And then that's how, you know, this system can kind of build itself up. If you Mm -hmm. get a Burkowski going, you feel more comfortable playing that second power play unit more. If you get a Jost going, same thing. So they have options with the forwards X factors here that you don't need all of them to be going all the time, but you need at least some of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, Because, I mean, if (laughs) you're not going to have all these guys going all the time all year long. Right. It's just that's insanely unrealistic but you've gotta they definitely need to be able to have the depth and the whole their whole offseason has been about adding the depth where if if one line isn't firing they're not desperate you know they can rely on their bottom three lines to produce two goals in a game if if the the top combination is just not clicking at at its highest level yeah right it's they can still expect to win without multi-point nights from McKinnon and Rantanen. <laughs> Jost is entering an interesting position because he's also entering the final year of his ELC. Yep. If he goes out and he, let's just say he has a 45-point season. Like a, a big jump, he goes from 26 to 45. You're feeling a lot, be- a whole lot better about him moving forward than you are right now where you're just like, oh my gosh, can... Can we please get the big leap here? Yeah. 45 points isn't like an all-star leap, but it's, hey, that's a top six player leap. Right. Would you sign him long-term? Boy, if he's willing to sign for a reasonable price, maybe. But the two shorter years and the one strong year is just, it always ends up in a bridge, it seems, in this league. It just seems like... All this talk re- recently about Ryan O'Reilly, if you ended up with Tyson Jost doing something similar where, you know, O'Reilly produced 26 points in each of his first couple of years and then had the big leap into a 50-point player in his third year and wanted $5 million. And the Avs were like, Mama, what? And said, no, thank you. And, of course, that's kicked off all that stuff. Do you think the Avs will have learned from that? And if Jost has the 45-point season... You know, maybe maybe you give him a couple of extra instead of giving him a one year deal or a two year deal. Maybe you look at a five year deal. Sure. Yeah. It, they should not have issues with being able to afford that. Yeah. As it stands now, 
So it, it wouldn't hurt him, assuming Jost does perform up to par. Again, it's going to come down to the the exact dollar value. You know, if he says, give me $7 million, you just say, Well, I mean, he would have no leg to stand on for right, that. Right, so exactly. That's an easy no, of course. But, uh, you know, Riley's deal, he didn't really have much of a leg to stand on for $6 million either when he asked for it. So Also true. It It's going to come down to, to the negotiations there. And I... The bridge just seems easy. It's it's a deal that they come to a lot because the player can bet on himself to continue mm-hmm. improving and the team doesn't have to pay the big bucks right now. I think it's an interesting conversation um, in the same way that what they do with Gerard next summer will also be interesting. Yeah, I mean, that conversation is one I'm way more open to signing long-term, but that's for a different I, pod. <laughs> if the Avs if the Avs dropped a press release tomorrow that said that they had signed Sam Gerard to a seven year contract to like start you know obviously beginning after next season, I would right. have no issues with yeah, it. Yeah, me either. I'm, I'm good. Unless great. the dollar value was just outrageous, I'd be like great. Right. Fun. But you don't have, I don't think that's a realistic concern because no, I don't think uh, it is either. You know, the, the, what he's what he's done, what he's accomplished so far isn't enough to be like, you know, oh, yeah, we're going to give him six million. Unless he puts up like a 60 point season this year or something. It's right. Well, putting up 60 points from the back end is something that Tyson Berry uh, nearly accomplished last season with his 59 point season. What are they going to do on the defense uh, to replace that production is exactly what we will be talking about next segment. So uh, we'll pay some bills and uh, be right back. This is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. We'll be in the third and final segment of today's BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. <sighs> Rudo, talking about X-Factors here. We've talked about Burakovsky. We've talked about Jost. Now we're going to get to the most obvious of them. The best prospect in all of hockey, <laughs> Kale McCarr. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt that, that he's the biggest X factor on the abs. It, if he has a 50 point season, this team is going to be really, really good. If he has a 20 point season, that decor might struggle to produce a bit. Tyson Berry has 59 points last year. He sure did. Kale McCarr is not going to score 59 points this year. Uh, no. Uh, if Kale McCarr scores 59 points this year, then we have a Hall of Fame defender. <laughs> right. Forget it. Put it in the books. This guy is, is going to win cups with us. <laughs> <laughs> I, you can't even remotely put that expectation on the kid. But I, I think so as well. Um, he's going to get more opportunity. Than the vast majority of rookies will have will have gotten. Yeah, no, no doubt. Just because you can't expect him to score sixty points, the Avs are certainly expecting him to score forty. All time in NHL history, fifteen defensemen have scored fifty or more points in their rookie seasons. Ever. 
yeah, that's uh, that's pretty thin company, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Furthermore, just fifty-two defensemen have scored forty points in their rookie seasons. Yeah, that's. I I think that's reasonable to to put Makar in that type of echelon. I I think he's that good. Certainly uh, recent examples. Yeah. Zach Wierenski, Shane Goss Despair, uh, Tori Krug, Will Butcher, which, <laughs> that's funny. John Klingberg. Some pretty good players. But it's not fair. What I'm, the, the reason I, I throw this out there is to say, it's not fair to say he's going to expect him to score 50 points. He's going to be a very, very, very high-end NHL player someday. But this is his rookie year. Right. And 82 games, a lot of hockey that he hasn't played before. You love the transition, uh, the immediate impact that he had for the Avs last season and the postseason. All of that is great. All the stars are lining up for him to be special. But there's a lot of history against him here. Certainly no guarantees of anything when it comes to defensemen joining the National Hockey League. It's tough sledding. He's going to get, you know, the he's going to get offensive zone starts. He's going to get PP1 time. Uh, with with next to guys like McKinnon and Rantanen, where he'll be able to rack up assists, where he doesn't even have to do a lot. How he is able to get his shot through traffic and what his shot looks like in the NHL, we aren't really sure yet. Uh, he didn't he didn't do a lot of that in the postseason. So, a lot of shooting from the point, I should say. No, I... so there's still a lot of projection going on with Kale McCarr. I fully expect he gets 20 minutes a night. Uh, if I mean they gave it to him in the postseason, why in the world wouldn't you give it to him in the regular season? Exactly. He he's going to have every opportunity to succeed as much as a defenseman possibly can in his freshman year. But you just you don't know until you see it. And and I, the playoffs helped for me a lot. The fact that he played so well in, at the highest level of playoff competition, I'm a lot more confident in what he was going to bring than I was before that. But even still, there's absolutely going to be nights where he's going to get burned and things aren't going to work for him, and, and he's going to have to work through that. He is. And honestly, this is the only reason... I, this is as much a segment about talking about tempering expectations for Makar as it is about him as an X-Factor, because he's an obvious X-Factor. And if he does go out and he does break all these, all these historical trends... Uh, you know, no no rookie defenseman has scored 60 points in a season since Nick Lidstrom in 91-92. Yeah. <laughs> and only nine guys have ever done that. If he does that, then... And on this list, I count seven Hall of Famers that I'm familiar with and two guys I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah 
if he scores 60 points, we might be picking 31 next draft. <laughs> Legitimately. Like, if, he's, if he scores 61, you're having one of those everything is going right for you seasons, and you might be running downhill uh, towards towards a, a cup final appearance. Like, yeah. if he's that good right off the hop and they don't they miss Tyson Berry, not at all, <laughs> then Colorado's going to be scary good because that trade set them up to take a minor step back in year one and a really big step forward in year two. Right. They, their defense is supposed to have gotten worse because of that trade to make their right. offense more sound and, and better. And you're dropping Makar in and you're expecting him to replace a solid amount of the production that Tyson Berry brung, but certainly not all of it. Right. And that's why I I think 40 points is still a fair expectation before the playoffs. I said 20 to 30. Yeah. After the playoffs, I'm like, I think 40 points is a totally fair benchmark now. Exactly. That's why there's so much more confidence here in Makar than some of the other X factors we've talked about is. Yeah. We're still waiting for those other X factors to do it. We don't know if they can. Mm-hmm. And and the same is true of Makar. A, a 10 playoff games isn't a big sample size, but mm-hmm. the fact that he looked so strong in those 10 <laughs> games, you just go, man, there really is something here. There, there really is. I mean, the, the kid looked like a superstar in the postseason. Uh, if he carries that over the regular season, it's it's really just a question of how good he is over the course of the year. Because we know he, there are going to be nights where he looks like the best player in the league. Yeah. You know, where we're like, oh my God, who is this? Where he'll score, you know, three points. Yeah. And you're just like, oh my God, whoo, you're going to have to fan yourself, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah, go end to end. This kid, are you serious? Right. <laughs> he'll do some silly stuff. But, but yeah, I agree with you. The question is, it's game 60 and he's hit the wall and maybe he's nursing something. And how does he look then? Right. Because we've seen, and it happens every year with college players. Yep. Guys, guys who come out of college. Um, and I'm hoping that because he had such a long college season last year, going to the national championship and then getting to uh, play in the NHL postseason, I'm hoping he has some sort of an idea that he's able to plan for it best he can. But realistically, this is this is a kid that's going to play a lot more hockey than he ever has before. He fifty. He played fifty-one games last year between UMass and the Avs. That's not that. That gets him to January, right? And this isn't fifty-one games of Tyson Joe's playing twelve minutes a night in his rookie year either. He's gonna be munching minutes, right? And even if they manage it, I can't imagine a world in which he averages less than eighteen minutes a night through the whole season, right? He, there's no doubt he's gonna be in your top four. And there's a good chance that he's your top minute defenseman a regular amount. There's no way you move Tyson Berry unless you have that kind of confidence that McCarr can at least give you 60% of what Barry gave you offensively. Yep, I agree. But if he gives you 80%, you're in the money. <laughs> yeah. 
what do what are your what do you think is going to happen with Kale McCarr? Because we're trying to temper expectations here, and I actually had the conversation last night with somebody uh, at Breckenridge Brewery. P.S. Go check it out. And I was saying I try not to talk about it too much because I get so hyped on him, and I'm so I'm so excited to to see what happens with his career that I feel like my own personal hype machine is a little out of control. And I try not to let that spiral down into the podcast and turn, turn everybody who listens to the show into, you know, a bunch of whirling dervishes of Macar fandom. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll do a little bit of both here. I expect him to jump in to the league and the, combination of his skating and passing is going to be amazing right away straight up it is going to dominate and i think he's going to lean very very heavily on that in his first year i do not expect him to score a lot of goals this year we've seen this in the past his first year in the ncaa he only scored five goals his first year in Mm -hmm. uh, junior a he only scored 10 the second year he basically tripled those numbers in both of the leagues and he did work on his shot a lot this this past year at UMass, but the shot is going to be the secondary thing as he gets comfortable in the NHL. And he's going to rely on that speed to beat opponents and that vision to feather passes through and set up other teammates. That's where I'm expecting to see the most out of him. It'll be interesting how they want to run the power play with that because I think he's going to defer the pat to passing a lot more than, than taking shots from the point like Barry often did. And that might be a bit of an adjustment for the whole team. Um, I would like that adjustment. Me too. But Miko, Miko ranting and shooting more is a good thing. Yes, I agree fully. I am nervous that I'm not giving him enough credit because I believe in my heart of hearts that he's a special talent. I do too. I I really think he is. I don't say that he's the best prospect in the league just for the take. I really think he is. If you could go back to draft day in 2017 today, knowing what you know today, are you taking McCarr or Pedersen? Oh, <laughs> that's really see, hard. Yeah. See, for me, it's not. I'm taking Makar. I, I think I probably would settle on Makar, but ask me again at the end of next season, and I'll have a better answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still taking Makar. Yeah, and just, I don't think there would be anyone that would doubt that pick right now. <laughs> Is Kale McCarr going to be better than Miro Haskinen? I think so. Uh, Haskinen's a great player. I really like him. I wouldn't have had any complaints if the Avs ended up with him. But he doesn't have that special it factor. The, that, that ability that just makes you pause for a minute and say, almost nobody can do this. Mm-hmm. And McCarr has that with his skating ability. Okay. I think I think Makar is special. And yeah. I worry that I'm not giving him enough credit for being special. 
because I do lean on history uh, as heavily as I do. I do lean on the numbers as much as I do uh, just to tell me that, hey, you know, these things just don't happen very often. And expecting that kind of rarity well, is setting everybody up for disappointment. But at the same time, I think it's possible. I think it's possible he has a 55-point season and wins the Calder running away just because he does do something that so few defensemen have been, been able to accomplish in their careers, especially the, in the rookie season. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be him and Kakao for the Calder this year. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I Not to get us too off track here, but I grew up a, a Rockies fan almost more than an abs fan at first. Same. And the one thing I learned from, from Rocky's fandom is underestimate and be pleasantly surprised when good things happen. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well, unfortunately the Rockies continued to make that be true. (laughs) Yeah. But, but that's kind of how I see it with my car is in the back of your head. You're going, Yeah maybe just maybe this kid could put up 60 points but i i think in year two that's what i'm i'm fully expecting yeah, him to be that for sure but this but year year one you're trying to be? go like eh, yeah and if he does it then amazing if if he's only 40 then you're still happy at what point is it considered a failure Less than 30. Okay. 30 would be like, well, that wasn't great, but... 30 would feel exactly like his freshman year at UMass, where it was was okay. Yeah. You were hoping for more, but you're not really disappointed, but you're not happy. You're just sort of like, that's a thing. Yep, it exists. You expect a whole lot more out of him the next year then. If it's less than 30, that's when you start going, boy, did we overestimate the upside here? Yeah. For sure. Any point predictions that you want to make today? On Makar? Yeah. We'll do, I mean, we'll do this again in the preseason run-up, but... I'm going to say 50 points, but less than 10 goals. I'm going to say 45. I like that number too. I'm going to say 45. And I'm going to say all three of Burakovsky, Jost, and uh, Makar will surprise in one way or the other. <laughs> There'll be surprises. Yep. There will be surprises. I won't commit to good or bad, but I will commit <laughs> to there will be surprises. Nothing meh this year. <laughs> That's right. Not with those three, anyway. Yeah. All right, let's get out of here for the day, Rudo. We have got a big day tomorrow. I say that having no idea what tomorrow's show is going to be, but Fridays are always kind of a big day. So we're out of here. <laughs> no uh, no game-changing transitions, no no smooth exits. We're just done for the day. I, like I said, it's been a weird day. So we're just going <laughs> to get out of here. This is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow. The Colorado Golf Association is dedicated to preserving, improving, and serving the game of golf here in Colorado. And right now they're conducting their annual Dream Golf Vacation Raffle. 
Ed Mate, executive director of the Colorado Golf Association, gave us some more info on what exactly you can win if you enter. We had six grand prizes this year and 40 plus other prizes. So the, the big ticket items, so to speak, or the grand prizes are a trip to the BMW Championship, including VIP access, thanks to our partnership with BMW. Uh, we have trip to Streamsong, we have a trip to Bandon Dunes, we have a trip to Sand Valley, and then we have what I think might be the coolest, the chance to take an, uh, a 7 Series BMW down to Telluride to play in a CGA-only event. The raffle tickets will go on sale on our website, coloradogolf.org. Tickets are $40, and you know all the proceeds from the raffle are going to support youth development in the state of Colorado. So you're making a great donation to a great cause, but you're also having a chance to uh, really have a fantastic dream golf vacation. For a chance to win, be sure to go to coloradogolfassociation.org.